Where's it going? Yeah. Okay. He was despised. There we go. And we esteemed him not. Let's see here. Where are we at? Where was I at? Verse 4. Verse four. That's okay. Surely he hath borne our sorrow. Oh, I see it now. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth, he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, from, for the transgression of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he hath done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and, with, and, sh- and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul into death, and was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for your body. I thank you, Lord, for your blood that was shed upon the cross for uh, this needy people in this dark, sinful world. I thank you, Lord, that it was declared unto me as, uh, as it was declared by the prophets and by the apostles, declared unto me by faithful men of God and by Sunday school teachers and, and my grandmother, Lord, uh, explaining the gospel and living the gospel before me in their lives. And, oh, Lord, for speaking to my heart that day, I can remember the time and I can take you to the place. And, Lord, as we sang that song, I was reminded of that a time and a place that you spoke to my heart and as you passed by my way, and then, Lord, that you drew me a sinner unto thee, and I just want to praise you and thank you. I pray and ask that you'll bless the message this morning. I pray that you'll draw sinners to thee. Lord, revive the saints of God. Help us, Lord, to just be in tuned again to what you've done on the cross for our sins. We ask and pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen and amen. Again, uh, we as a church, uh, there is we we are commanded to keep the, the ordinances of the church, the two ordinances of the church are baptism and the Lord's table or the Lord's supper, some people call it, uh, where we do in remembrance of him, we take uh, 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 holy communion, if you want to put it that way. I know that's a Catholic term, but we take and we in remembrance uh, take, uh, take the Lord's table and with unleavened bread we remember his body that was broken for us and that was bruised for us, uh, and then we remember his blood that was shed for us. And then, of course, then they're just um, 
for folks that just don't know, the, there are some churches you'd go to, and if they offered the, the Lord's table, anybody could take it. Uh, anybody, you know, that, and then anybody that named the name of Christ could take it. And then that's uh, open communion. Anybody could take it. Uh, so even if, uh, even if, um, so yeah, anybody that named the name of Christ could take it. So whether you're Methodist or you're uh, Church of Christ or you're Presbyterian or whatever, you could come in together. Everybody would partake of the, partake of the Lord's table together. That's open communion. Then you'd have close communion is a term uh, that folks use. Close communion was would be anybody in a Baptist church, anybody that's Baptist. You didn't necessarily have to be a member of that local body and that local assembly, but if, if you were Baptist, then they would offer that table to you too. But we practice closed communion here. We believe that it's scriptural to practice closed communion as we are a local assembly, a local body of Christ, we believe that the, the Lord's table is only for the saved membership of that local body. And your membership comes by baptism after salvation, as we read here uh, in our church covenant, and then and or by a church letter like you received, uh, Lisa and myself, of course, Jesse, but didn't know Jesse, well, you know, about his profession and his baptism at Island Ford, Lisa's profession and baptism at Island Ford, my profession and baptism that they accepted from the church that I was saved in and as we passed on, but it all goes back to that, the baptism and that we were scripturally baptized by a church of like faith uh, in, in belief, then, then that's how you accepted us into your membership. And so that's how, and so as we, as we, uh, as we have the Lord's table this evening, that we've set aside a time to, to do the Lord's table, it's for the membership here of the church. But there's a lot to be said about that. And that, like I said, we was, we was preparing for that. I got the grape juice uh, the other day, and it's not fermented. That uh, it's plain grape juice. Uh, a lot of a lot of some churches uh, want to put uh, fermented wine in the in the cups and want to and make uh, fermented wine. Uh, the representation of the blood of Jesus Christ. But the blood of Jesus Christ was pure. And that fermentation makes it impure. And, uh, and one of the things, um, you know, why would God save an old drunk and deliver him from that alcohol? The Bible tells us that wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever uh, is deceived, therefore, I'm, I'm misquoting it, is... Uh, is, is uh, Whosoever therefore is deceived is not wise, something along those lines. And so you save an old drunk and delivered you from the taste of alcohol only for the church to put alcohol back into the cup for you to be reintroduced to that. Why would God do that? He doesn't. And we, we know that it was new wine uh, there at the marriage of Cana. And new wine means fresh squeezed, all right? Not wine as in fermentation, all right? So... Uh, so there was the, they have, they have, and I've got a Bible, a book on Bible wines, and they, they did, and by archaeological proof, they, they had the ability to concentrate grape juice, just like you go down to the freezer section uh, at, the, um, at the store, and you buy grape juice or orange juice in concentrate. You know, what do you have to do uh, to, when you take it home, so, and so you have a, a can that's this big around, that's this tall, 
So how much? So you have a concentrate version of the juice. They have taken out a lot of the liquid in the in the in the in the process of concentrating that juice, and you take that home and you pour it into your uh, your pitcher, and then you reconstitute it with water. And so you have to add water to it. Lots of times for uh, you know the. Uh, the orange juice, a can that big, that tall, then you put three cans of water and reconstitute that grape juice to make it drinkable. Because if you drink it, just the syrup, basically, which is what is in that can, uh, that concentrated syrup, it wouldn't be palatable. Uh, it would be it's too strong. So you add water to it to make it palatable, uh, to weaken it up and, and to reconstitute it that way. And art, they have ar- archaeological proof. I don't know where I got off on all this, but they had archaeological proof of the ability to concentrate grape juice back in the day. So at the marriage of Cana, whenever they put out, they had those water pots, okay? And they, were, they had the water pots to reconstitute some grape juice, which is not as good as freshly squeezed. You can have frozen orange juice reconstituted um, uh, concentrate, or you can have fresh squeeze, and you, you take the uh, the orange and you freshly squeeze that orange juice out is a big, big difference. Fresh squeeze is so much better than the reconstituted concentrate. So at the marriage of Cana, when they finally gave to the governor, after they had taken water and God and Jesus Christ turned it into wine, the governor made that uh, that uh, proclamation that you saved the best for last. In other words. What that would happen in a, in, a, in a gathering like that, they would have served the best first, the freshly squeezed first, and then if they needed more, they would just go get some concentrate and reconstitute it. But when Jesus Christ turned the water into wine and the governor tasted it, he said, oh, this, you know, you saved the best for last. In other words, it tastes just like it's freshly squeezed. And it's non-fermented, non-alcoholic, Wine that rep- I mean, uh, juice, and you could say wine, fruit of the vine, that represents the blood of Jesus Christ in our Lord's table. That's free. That's not where I'm going to go this morning. I want to look at the body this morning. Again, as I was preparing the, the bread, I looked it up. It's simple ingredients. Unleavened bread. Leaven is a type of sin. Again, we we read that. I'll just go ahead and if you'll turn, um, we might as well hit that right now. First Corinthians five. That way I can make reference to it in just a moment. Seems like it's going to go this way. First Corinthians five. We know this passage of scripture is dealing with sin in the church, or the man. The church member lay with his father's wife, in essence his stepmother, and people were in the church. Verse number 6, your glorying is not good. Because verse number 5 says, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of uh, of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And that is proper when it comes to bread making. It doesn't take that much leaven to leaven a whole lump of bread, a whole loaf of bread. 
And in application, he's referring to the sin. A little sin gets into the church, it'll affect the whole church. Turn that one that's a sinner out of the church. And there's part of church discipline that we as a church exercise around here. Purge, ye there, uh, purge out therefore the whole leaven that uh, ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So we see there the picture of leaven being a sin, and it's unleavened bread. Again, unleavened bread is pure. It's without any kind of leaven, and Jesus Christ and his body was without any kind of sin. And so he was represented as Christ, our Passover, and then the Passover lamb and the Passover feast that was described in the book of Exodus, they ate it with unleavened bread. And they still exercise that in the Jewish economy this day. So I looked it up. Simple ingredients. Bread, oil, salt, and water. I mean, flour. Unleavened, all-purpose flour. One cup of all-purpose flour. And I put plain, without leavening agents. He was without sin. Hebrews chapter 4. The book of Hebrews was referred to in the reference, I should say, in the Sunday school hour. Him being our priest and him taking his offering before the throne room of the the mercy seat which is in heaven. Hebrews 4.14 Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our Profession, for we have not touched an high priest which cannot. Sorry, we have not, for we have not an high priest. There we go. I seen touched up there in that first line. It's not there. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are. And brother Chris's devotion kind of lead right into that. We are tempted, and brother. Uh, Glenn's um, uh, comments at the beginning of, of the, his Sunday school hour uh, dealing with this flesh. Jesus Christ came as flesh. God incarnate flesh on this earth was tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He didn't ever sin. He couldn't sin. He was God. There's been a debate in that in the last several years on whether he could or we couldn't. Plain, all-purpose, unleavened flour. Not self-ride, no leavening agents. It's pure, just like the body of Christ, pure. He was without sin. And then the oil. Matthew chapter 3. This just speaks of the baptism of Christ. Matthew chapter 3 
and verse number 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lining upon him, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Many times the oil in the Word of God speaks of gladness, but it also speaks of the Spirit of God. And here the Spirit of God uh, was upon him and, um, and descended upon him as a dove there. And then we have water. John chapter 3 and verse 5, Jesus answered verily, speaking to Nicodemus, a very familiar passage of Scripture, verse 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And the water in that passage of Scripture speaks of that natural birth. Jesus Christ was, and we're getting ready to get into it on our Wednesday night study. Uh, and, and the, you know, we introduced it this past Wednesday night in our Wednesday night studies uh, about um, the Christology and the, the doctrine of Christ. And, and we're, we're going to be getting in more deeply in the next several weeks in that study is the humanity of Christ. And we see that in, in, in uh, that he was born of water. He came through a virgin's womb. Um, and, and, he was, and so uh, he didn't have to be born again, but he's talking about up, but he had that natural birth. As we see there, he was, he was God incarnate. He was a fleshly man, and we see that, that he came. It speaks of his humanity there. So the ingredients of this unleavened bread that we will take tonight and we will break in remembrance of him. I couldn't help but to think about here in verse number 2 of Isaiah 53, our text, For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground, he hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. You know, I know that Thompsons, um, they're at Bethany Baptist Church. They um, have started a home business, and they, they do bread. <laughs> they bake bread. It's a baking business, and they sell uh, down to flea markets and things like that in the markets and have gotten some of their products into uh, some of the, the various shops around their area. We spoke about that when they were, we had some time to fellowship and, and they was telling us a little bit more about their, uh, their, their home bakery and how, and we've heard him testify when he's preaching how that the family gets in, to get, you know, gets in there and they got kind of an assembly line uh, because they break, bake a whole lot of bread for their, for, for their market days. You know, and they, he, he mentions the word artesian breads, some specialty breads. And then you, you look at, I seen uh, as I was looking up a little bit about the production of wheat uh, from the wheat to the bread pan and the process of growing the wheat and what the wheat itself has to go through. And then what the, the you know, the, the, to make the flour and then the flour and then the process of making bread, what the, the bread making has to go through. And we'll see some of that in just a minute. But, you know, you, you go down to the Panera. I've only been in there a couple of times. <laughs> maybe, maybe a couple of times. In my, and I don't know if I've ever bought anything from Panera, maybe. But, uh, 
uh, there's a church in Wichita, Kansas. They somehow, some way, got connected in with Panera Bread, and uh, you know, just like day old donuts, day old bread. <laughs> you know, they want fresh to sell to their customers, so they got connected in as a church up there that. They, after certain days of the week, you know, if so many days old bread, uh, they they would give these loaves of bread to the church, to, and then they would, and the church then would take it down to some of the local fire uh, halls and give it to the firefighters and maybe some of the police officers, and they'd distribute it among uh, the 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 shut-ins and things in the, in the in the, you know in their church, and then people in the church would take it home. Again, that Panera was just going to get rid of it. Uh, otherwise, it would be bird food or hog food. And I think some of that, you know, later on went to something along those lines at, at their day. But when we were there with them, you know, they had brought in a, lo- a load of that. And of course, we we staying with them several days. We got, our, we got our portion. What a blessing it was. But to see the different types of flowers and the different types of loaves, you know, there was these, these round loaves, you know, and just golden, uh, you know, a darker brown. And then there were these long loaves, you know, with the little cuts in them. Uh, and, and she didn't know, and I didn't know, and we, it, just, it just worked out. The sister, and when you go back, there's a beautiful uh, apple pie back there. And she took a knife, and she made a little apple in, in the dough, on the top of the dough. And when it baked, then that, that little, those little cuts opened up, and there's a little design. So before you cut into it, look at the little apple design. They're on the top of her apple pie. But you see these loaves, and they'll put the little cuts in there. And once the, once the, the bread is expanded, you know, it's, it's golden, and then it's got the little cuts and the little designs in it. And there's all different kinds. You know, the bakers are just, or, or some of the ones that, um, that we've seen, uh, you go to the, to the donut shop. Now, I've been in donut shops more than I have Panera Bread. <laughs> but you go to the donut shop, and there's those little... Uh, that it looks like they're, they're weaved together and they just take the dough and they actually braid them together and they'll put them in and they'll bake it and they'll, they'll come out with this design. So when you go into those bread, those bakeries, and they have all the different breads and they have all, you know, you look at it and they're just, it's, 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 oh, it makes you desire it. You see, you see this one, oh, that looks good. You see that one, that one. Lisa and I was in Aruba, there was this great big super, super supermarket. <laughs> Huge supermarket that almost serves the whole island. And you go in there, and their bakery, I mean, it just had all kinds of breads. And, uh, but, you know, you say, oh, that looks good. And, oh, look at that one over there. Isn't that pretty? Look at the design on that. You have, that makes you desire it. But he says here in verse number 2, it has no desire. It has no form nor comeliness. In the recipe that, that I use to make this, it... It said that once that the flour was made, to divide it up into six different balls and then to press it out. There's no, there's, it's no loaf pan. It didn't raise up beautiful with leaven in it. There's no special design in the cake. There's nothing special about, about looking at it. And that's the way he is. He said he would be here. You know, there's no form nor comeliness. There's nothing that would make you naturally draw to him. There's no beauty in, that we should desire him. 
despised and rejected of men. If, if I was to compare, lay this next to, say, a loaf of garlic bread or some of the other breads that, say, the Thompsons make or Panera Bread makes, you would choose the other one probably over this one. And if you, did this, if you were doing a taste comparison, there would be maybe a different texture, a lightness, a, 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 a nuttiness maybe in some of the other loaves than if you put this in your mouth and it's just pretty, pretty plain. There, there again, you would despise this. You would reject this over that leavened loaf. Look at that visitor right there real quick. We got a turkey at our front door. Literally. He's standing right outside the glass. Two of them. Looking, they're looking, in, looking in. It's different. I know that's going to be, it's going to mess me up, but that's different. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, please get a picture of that, Lisa. All right, so that's going to be, so anyway. There they go. Well, no form nor comeliness. We esteemed him not. He was despised and went and rejected of men, and we esteemed him not. We wouldn't, we wouldn't take this and we say, oh, let me, this is the best thing you ever put in your mouth. We wouldn't esteem this highly, not compared to some bread that we could take. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we were healed. As we go on in the recipe, it says to preheat the oven to 425 degrees. And that's another thing about breads compared to meats. I know when Lisa makes her biscuits, you know, she preheats her oven to... 450 or 500 degrees, which is the maximum on most ovens. And then, you know, 425 for this, and, and a lot of the breads are baked, a lot of baked goods are baked at much higher temperatures than the meats. And meats, you don't want to bake, that, 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 that cooks that too quick, and the meat would turn out very, very tough. You put them on a lower setting and, and bake them a lot longer. But just, you know, five, 450, 500 degrees for her biscuits, you know, they're in about five minutes. This only took about eight minutes at 425 degrees. But I think about the temperature and the heat that this has to go through in the process of it making. The affliction that it, before I even got it in there, this is a preheat oven to 425 degrees. But then it says to, 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 to mix the flour and the oil and the salt together and then to pour in the water. And it's, it talked about using a pastry cutter, which we don't have. And I know we had one in Kentucky, and I don't know what happened to it. But for those, and I didn't know what a pastry cutter was for a long time, I said, what in the world is this used for? It has a handle, has some, like, wire, about four wires, and, and you just you cut into the dough. And, 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 and I think about the affliction, the, the affliction of the dough. I used a, a, a large fork, and as I was... Mixing and pressing and cutting through the flour and the dough mixture. You know, 
just to get all the ingredients stirred together, there was an affliction put upon the dough. And then it says to separate it into the six, to the six, and then, uh, six balls and press into the discs. So pressing it out. And you think about the affliction that was put upon this dough and the, represent, the representation of this unleavened bread being the body of Christ. And when we take of the Lord's Supper tonight, we think about, and, and again, as I was making this, I was just like, you know, the Lord was speaking, the, the affliction that I was being, that was putting upon the dough. So, well, it's an inanimate object, but, but there's a representation of Christ in this. Yes. So there's the affliction of the cutting of the ingredients into each other. There's the affliction of being pressed onto the pan. And then there's the affliction of being put in a dark oven and the heat being put to it. And we're going to look at some of this in a minute. Let's look at this this way. Isaiah 52. We, done, we was just there. In verse number 14, As many as were astonished as his, uh, at thee, at, at and as many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Matthew chapter 26. The affliction upon the bread and the dough, the affliction upon our Christ, our our Savior, for our stead and in our stead. Matthew chapter 26, verses 67 and 68. What think ye? They answered and said, He is guilty of death. Then did they spit in his face and buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands, saying, Prophesy unto us, thou Christ, who is he that smote thee? Matthew 27, verses 27. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him, and they took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him, and they led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon, by the name, uh, Simon by name, him they compelled to bear his cross. They smote him as I pressed on this dough. I think of the affliction here. And we read there in, in Isaiah how he was afflicted. And this is what they did to the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of God, for our behalf. And just, and I... I they spit upon him. Twice we read there in 26 and 27, two different times. And I, I thought about taking Brother 
Brother Chris, who anybody that's shaking his hand, he's got a good firm handshake. He's a strong dude. And for me to stand him up here, or if I was even to go back, have him stand up and ask him if he loves me. And he would say probably yes. And ask him if he knew that I loved him. And he would probably say yes. But for me to just spit in his face. Or to have him come up and have Brother Glenn and Brother Tim and Brother Josh and Roy and me just spit in his face. Just, uh, I mean, it takes a lot of, one of the last spankings I got from my mom, not that I spit on anybody, but I threw spit at somebody, my brother. And through the years, thinking about that and and thinking of, of somebody just spitting in your face in disdain, in mockery. And he stood there, as we read in Isaiah 53, as a, as a sheep. Before shears is numb. And took it. You think about the spittle. And I know Hollywood, through the years and the various movies, has tried to depict these scenes... And through the various artistry and the various computer-generated images and one thing or another could probably bring a pretty good image to your mind of, the, of, the, of what was done to Christ. But the internal suffering... The pain that he feels. You see the external images, but to bring that and to, to, to I've, I've experienced a little physical pain in my life, nothing like some people have. I've never broken a bone. The most excruciating pain I've ever had was a, a, a small, super, too, super teeny tiny small kidney stone that just simply passed from my kidney to my bladder. And I was miserable. But to think of being smote, to be beaten, to be afflicted, to have be spit upon, to have thorns pressed into your skull and then beat with a rod, a reed, into your into your flesh, and then to be laid stripes upon. In Psalm 28, prophetic of our Christ, Psalm 28, verse 8, he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Now, let me back up. Verse, 20, verse number 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he's delighted in him. And this is, this is prophetic of, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in the Psalms. And, and they describe him as a worm and no man. When, when Isaiah 53, uh, 
52.14 says, And they were astonished, astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man. Mr. Schofield in his notes says the literal rendering is terrible. So marred from the form of man was his aspect that his appearance was not that of a son of man, not human. The effect of the brutality is described in Matthew 26 and 27. To look upon him, you couldn't tell that he was even a man. He was so marred and so beaten you think of the, just the, the, the beatings and the bruises and the black and the blue and then the blood on top of it. And then his, his flesh opened up because of the whip. A lot of people would die just from the whipping. But he, he, was, he, he was beaten and he was spit upon and he was, and was bruised and he was afflicted and then he was nailed to the cross. Stripped naked. And the shame of that, uh, the pure Son of God that was stripped naked so that the Scripture might be fulfilled. That they cast lots for His garments. And to get that kind... And then when... The fact that you put it in this hot oven. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. And I know that this is talking about the wrath that's going to be upon sinners. But Jesus Christ experienced the wrath of God for sin and the sins of the world. And this can be a... uh, illustration or a explanation of just a little bit of what he might have understood and what he might have had upon him. Revelation chapter 14 verse 9, And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast in his image and received his mark in his forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. When Brother Glenn was in his Sunday school and he talked about the soul is going to live somewhere, and he didn't have the time, and I'm not going to take the time, somewhere, and I've heard it described this way. The soul that is saved is going to have everlasting life. But the soul that is not saved, the soul that is damned, the soul is going to be dying and experiencing the sting. The Bible talks about death and death, the sting of death. And even though you... In, in, in a, in a, it's hard to put into words you're living forever in this place of torment but you're experiencing death forever and the sting of death forever and forever and forever and it talks, talks about here the cup of his uh, how do you put it 
shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into a cup of his indignation. God's wrath and God's indignation upon the sinner in that passage of Scripture was the same wrath and the same indignation that was placed upon Christ on the cross in those hours of darkness. He suffered this wrath and this indignation for the world's sins. The sins of the world. As we read there, and I'll read it again. For I delivered unto you first of all, which I, which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. Everybody's sins, the sins of the whole world. Our sins was placed upon Him, and God cannot look upon sin. God had to judge sin, and God's wrath and indignation was upon Him. And, and I believe that's why that there was those hours of darkness upon Him. Matthew 27, 45. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And during this dark time, and about the ninth hour, at the end of this time of darkness, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was during that time that he was sacrificing. During that time, he was experiencing the heat of God's wrath and God's indignation upon him for your sins, upon him for my sins, upon him for the sins of the whole world. And as we placed this dough into that hot, hot oven, after we had cut it, after we had pressed it, it still had to go into a dark oven, a place of darkness under the wrath, high heat of that oven. And then it comes out on the other side, a representation of what Christ bore in his body. And it's just a reminder of us this morning, to us this morning, what Christ bore for our sins. And a very weak example of that. But if it can just kind of point us in that direction, if God can take these simple words and these words that I know didn't express, I, I, I told Lisa, and I, I kind of I have a tendency to sigh a little bit. She says, why do you sigh all the time? I said, you know that little pressure valve on a, <laughs> that little thing that wobbles on the top of a pressure cooker <laughs> that lets out the pressure every now and then? Whenever I go, I'm, I'm just letting out a little pressure, otherwise I'll explode. And so I said, so if I sigh, just a little bit more pressure on me. I come outside, and she's like, she kind of gets on me. She goes, what? I said, I just, what's in my heart to be able for God to take my abilities, which is feeble, are feeble, to express to you what the Word of God has said about His pain, His agony, His suffering. 
take it to, from my heart to my lips, how feeble they are, to put it into your ears, to take it to your heart. God's going to have to do that. And I'll leave you with this. Isaiah 53. I don't understand it. I've read it and read it and read it again. I probably won't understand it until I get on the other side. Verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure, it pleased the Lord, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, he shall see of the travail of his soul in that dark oven, in that dark three hours upon this earth. He shall see the travail of his soul. By his knowledge shall my, uh, and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. It pleased God. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And, and the fact that the, the word there that um, he was satisfied. And he was satisfied. He touched on it in Sunday school. With Cain and Abel, he required a blood sacrifice. He required a blood sacrifice even when he, he didn't say what kind of animal, but he killed the animal and, and made coats and covered Adam and Eve in their sin. And through the scriptures, there's a line of blood sacrifices that had to be made. Sacrificing. Jesus Christ, our Passover, we read there in Corinthians but the, the, the Passover and as a Passover and, and unleavened bread was represented in that Passover feast. And in that Passover, they had to kill a lamb. They had to put up a lamb. They had to examine the lamb. They couldn't be without spot. It had to be without spot. It had to be without blemish. And then they killed the lamb and they took of the blood and they put it on the, the doorpost. And people that was behind the blood, within the house that the blood had been applied, they were spared. And they, so it is. He is our Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Examine him. Look at him. You will find him sinless. Unleavened bread represents that. You will find him sinless. And then when you realize that his blood was slain and having that blood applied to the doorpost of our life, as God looks, as, as the death angel passed over, or death angel, God passed over, and God protected those that was behind the blood. And you've got to get behind the blood this morning. You've got to realize that Jesus Christ was your sacrifice. Sure. 
Jesus Christ was the sacrifice of the world. But bring it down to you. It's the only way for you to get to heaven. It's the only way for you to be forgiven. Is God putting it in your heart that Jesus Christ is that sacrifice. His blood was shed, pure blood. His body was given, a pure body, without sin. He suffered. He was afflicted. He took upon all that for you and for me and for the sins of the world. And when God opens your mind to that and pulls on your heart and say, the preacher's right. You need to be saved. You need to accept Christ as your Savior. (laughs) And then come to Him and be saved. So for the saints of God, as we go throughout, I know there'll be a time of fellowship but somewhere in the afternoon in preparation for tonight, think upon these things. For the sinner in here, today, you not come to you still have you still do and you you know, I couldn't get in on my mama's salvation. She had made a profession of faith, and I've often wondered because of things in her life I've expressed before. I couldn't get in on my grandmother. If anybody saved my grandmother, but I couldn't get in on her salvation. I couldn't get in on the preacher's salvation. I had to realize myself a sinner in need of a Savior. And if the Lord is, if that's where you're at this morning, let's put it that way, then you can be saved. Ask the Lord to save you. Repent of your sins. Like he, he got to this morning or getting ready to get to in verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. I'm glad it doesn't stop there. But the gift of God. It's a gift. As we went over before. Is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Put your faith in him. As we have a song of invitation. The Lord has spoken to you. In any way the altars are open.